Virginia was sitting in a waiting room, waiting room of a state agency, waiting to meet her 15th set of foster parents. Her 15th foster mother said to her, Virginia, are you afraid? And Virginia said, a little bit. I mean, she had reason to be afraid. If you looked at her case file, it was a case study of abuse and abandonment. Her new foster mother said, well, maybe this time it'll be different. At least we hope. And Virginia said, hope? Hope? It hurts too much to hope. At that point, Virginia had learned to keep her mouth shut most of the time. But what was she feeling inside? What could she not quite put into words? Probably, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. Hurts too much to hope. What she was feeling that day actually would be very similar to what the disciples were feeling when your scripture begins today. You see, they have locked themselves in a room, afraid to move. They had hoped. They had heard the words of Jesus when he said, follow me. And with great hope, they put down their nets and they followed. And they saw his miracles and they saw his teaching. And they hoped. Their hearts were alive with hope. And then their hopes were betrayed. So when our scripture begins, maybe for the disciples, it hurts too much to hope. The disciples of Jesus dared to hope. They saw his miracles and they heard his teachings. Their hopes seemed well placed, but then came the letdown, the arrest, the trial, the death on the cross. They put their stock in Jesus and he let them down. Why didn't he mobilize those people on Palm Sunday? Rather than fighting back, Jesus went to the garden and he just prayed and cried. Then he was crucified. Yet now rumors were flying that Jesus had risen from the dead. Could the disciples dare to hope again? They had already given hope a chance. They followed Jesus, and their hope let them down. Jesus was crucified. The disciples figured they were next to be crucified, so they were running for their lives. Now they heard this rumor that Jesus was alive. Now they don't know what to believe or who to listen to. Would they listen to hope or would they listen to fear? They chose the louder voice of fear with all they had gone through. I mean, really, who could blame them? They were afraid of their own decision-making ability. What were they thinking when they gave up their careers anyway to follow this Jesus? So the disciples looked locked themselves in this room and they hid. And in this room they were afraid of the religious authorities. Mm. 
Don't some of those lines ring true? Jesus prayed, he cried, and he was crucified. And the disciples thought they were next. Oh, they had dared to hope! Boy, did they ever hope! And they prayed, and Jesus prayed, and he cried, and he was crucified. How many times have we hoped, dreamed, said, this time it's going to work out. (laughs) This time, love is going to last long after the flowers from the Holy Union have dried up. It's going to last this time. This time, I'm going to give it my best and everything I've ever done is going to work out. Just watch. Just watch. We hope. We pray. We cry. And we know those moments when it feels like we've been crucified. I look at the beginning of this scripture today and and I see our mission. I see our calling. The disciples locked themselves in a room because they were afraid of the religious authorities. They were afraid to come out. They were afraid to come out. How many times have we been in that place? Afraid to be real. Afraid to take that next step. Afraid to love. So we seal ourselves off. We lock ourselves away. We've hoped before and we prayed and we cried. We were crucified. Hope. It's a scary thing to keep hoping, to keep stepping, to keep believing. And yet that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Just this week, I got an email from a senior in high school, Benjamin. He'd seen our website. He'd heard rumors about us. (laughs) And just like the disciples had heard rumors that Jesus was resurrected and alive and hope was possible, Benjamin had heard rumors about us. And even though he'd seen our website, he still sent me an email that said, Reverend Dwayne, is it possible to be gay and Christian? And if so, I want to know. (laughs) Tell me, is it possible? Does your church really have gay, lesbian, and bisexual, and transgender Christians? (laughs) And I was able... (laughs) And I was able to answer and say yes. And he responded back, then maybe I will think about moving to Houston when I graduate from high school and going to school at Rice. He was writing us from Florida. There's rumors out there. (laughs) There's rumors out there that hope will not be betrayed. That there is a place of unconditional love and grace where we can be who God's called us to be. I want to be here for him and others who are afraid of the religious authorities. Just this week, I met an engineer from Pasadena, worked for NASA, um, married for many years. Um, But he knew the truth um, that God had created him to be a woman. And so he began the transition process. And his wife of many years accepted the transition. Uh, Long-term members of a Church of Christ in Pasadena with family history in that church. 
and uh, as he moved through the transition, became she, uh, was very well accepted at, at NASA. I asked about that. How, is, how are you being accepted with your coworkers? And, and uh, they've thrown a party, a celebration party. And that's great. <laughs> uh, but this week, just this week, um, she and her wife were called by the pastor of that Church of Christ. And uh, she thought that they were being called into the pastor's office for the pastor to say, I've seen your faith, I know your family, and uh, I want you to know that you're going to be a beloved part of our congregation as who God's created you to be. Uh, her wife said, I don't think that's what the pastor's going to say. <laughs> and so this meeting, they, this, this week, they went into that meeting with the pastor, and uh, what the pastor said was, um, I support you personally, but uh, there's people in our congregation that will not understand. And we're at a place right now where we cannot lose members and we cannot lose tithers. And so um, I cannot allow either of you to remain in our church. There needs to be a place where hope will not be betrayed. A place where people don't have to hide from the religious authorities. A place where hope will live and be touched and seen through the people who are there. The disciples in today's story, they were locked away in that room out of fear. And then Jesus walked in and said, peace be with you. What happens to hope when Jesus walks in? Jesus walked into the locked room, and with his entrance, hope is greater than fear. Jesus says, peace be with you. Jesus confirms that his actions are reliable and his words are trustworthy. However, Thomas, he wasn't in that room. The other disciple says, we've seen Jesus. But Thomas returns their good news with blank, disbelieving looks. Thomas says, first I must see the nail-scarred hands and touch them with my fingers. I want to put my hand where their spear was in his side. I won't believe until I do this. With that one statement, Thomas was defined. A faithful disciple became forever known as Doubting Thomas. With one statement of disbelief, Thomas became the patron saint of a glass half-full theologians everywhere. Why do we call him Doubting Thomas? I mean, come on, we've been there. Maybe it isn't really so much that he was doubting, but that it hurt too much for him to hope. Maybe he was like Virginia. Maybe he was like Benjamin. Maybe he's like that couple in Pasadena who probably aren't in church anywhere today because they've been burned just this week. Doubting Thomas? Maybe hurting Thomas. We've had our doubting Thomas moments, our hurting Thomas moments. As I read this gospel story this week, I found myself carried back to one of my moments when you could call me doubting Thomas or hurting Thomas, whichever you choose. It's when I was in high school um, back in the 70s, and that's scary. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and back in the 70s when I was in high school, I really had not heard the word gay and Christian in the same sentence. 
I was struggling with, with what it meant to be gay, and in my mind, those feelings that I had were definitely a sin, and I dared not talk to anybody about it, so I held it inside. It was an issue that was eating me up. I happened to get a copy of the Kansas City Star, and I couldn't believe it. There was an article in the Kansas City Star about this church in Kansas City called MCC. And I read that article, and like Thomas, I, I, I couldn't believe that was true. I, I took that article, and I didn't want anyone to see it because I thought if my parents saw that article, they'd then look at me and figure it out somehow. <laughs> so I, I, I hid that newspaper in my bedroom. And like for the next six months, I would sometimes go and pull that story out and read about this church called MCC where gays and lesbians and transgenders and bisexuals could come together. And I would read it, and I'd put it down, and I'd read it, and I would say, can this be true? Could it really be true? I did come to a place where I had to see for myself, and being a suburban boy, I didn't know what it was like to go into midtown Kansas City, but I came up with a plan, and it was very elaborate. I, I was so ashamed of who I was at that point that I actually had my hair permed before I went to MCC for the first time so nobody would recognize me, as if that would really work. And, uh, and, and then when I got there, I fully intended to go in, but I just couldn't do it. I sat in the parking lot, and they had the doors of the church open so I could hear what was going on, but I was afraid to go inside. That happened three times that I went and sat in the parking lot afraid to go in. On the third time, I was listening, and I heard the voice of the preacher, and many of you have heard her. Her name was Frida Smith, and there was something in her voice that said, you can come in now. It's safe. I could hear part of her sermon. It was a sermon called Purple Grass, and it was about these lambs who liked purple grass and all the other lambs liked green grass <laughs> and how God loved the lamb that liked the purple grass. <laughs> and, and, I, and that worked for me <laughs> where I was at that point in my life. And um, I went in with my perm, and someone introduced themselves to me, and I said, hi, my name's Bart. <laughs> I wasn't ready to use my own name yet, and Bart, he's the guy I had a crush on in the sixth grade. <laughs> but when I went in to MCC in Kansas City, after sitting in that parking lot all those times, afraid and doubtful and hurting, I was allowed to touch the place where people had been wounded and pierced, and to see that those folks had come alive again. When I met the people in that congregation, I met... Jesus, and I knew it was real, and hope was reborn in my life. Why are we here? Because somewhere there needs to be a church for the Virginias and the Benjamins and that engineer in Pasadena and her wife. A place for the searching and the hoping. A place where it no longer hurts to hope. A place where Jesus can walk into our lives and transform us to hope never to return to fear again. A place with a new vision. There are two voices out there. There are two visions. The voices of fear and the voice of hope. The vision of fear and the vision of hope. When Jesus walks in, he is a walking vision of hope. And that's the vision God calls us to live. When Jesus walks in, 
everything changes. When Jesus walked into that room, he was saying, you've lived with fear all of your lives. How long are you going to stay this way? When are you going to receive the peace that is yours? When are you going to live with that power inside of yourself and beyond yourself? My followers, I give you a new vision. It is time to live in a new way. Live beyond your fears. Up to that point, the disciples were living their lives through a vision of fear. And once and for all, it did change. After Jesus walked into the room, they never turned back. Thomas went on to become a very powerful minister. He served in Parthia and in India and touched countless lives. We now have the same choice as these disciples. We have the choice of two visions. We can hide in a locked room and ask fear-based questions. Or we can boldly do the work that Jesus did, a work for justice, wholeness, and community. If we could hope without fear, where would that hope take us? <clears throat> did you get that last line? <laughs> if we could hope without fear, where would hope take us? If we could hope without fear, where would hope take us? Doubting Thomas gets a new name. He became a minister in Parthia and beyond. Doubting Thomas becomes ministering Thomas, hopeful Thomas, acting Thomas, living Thomas, dreaming Thomas, fearless Thomas, visioning Thomas, a Thomas who lived the love of Jesus day by day, moment by moment. Jesus walked into his life. And Jesus let Thomas touch him. And Thomas hoped again. Question for us. When the searching and hurting and doubting come into this place, will we open ourselves and say, go ahead, I've been wounded. Touch the, touch the scar. Touch the place. And know that despite the wounding, I'm alive. And you can believe. And you can hope. And hope doesn't have to hurt. Not here. Hope doesn't have to hurt. Hope is real. God's called us by name. Let's open ourselves to all that God has for us. Where would hope take us? if we refused to fear ever again. Amen and amen. amen.